Hello, and welcome to the SAMOPS Specialty Spotlight Podcast. This podcast was created to help inform military medical students about experiences and opportunities in military medicine. We aim to interview physicians either currently in or retired from the military from all branches of service in various specialties. Today, we would like to welcome Dr. Rogers back for part two. Thanks for joining us again, Dr. Rogers. Hey, thanks, Katie. Yeah, glad to be here. So I know you have some book recommendations for us. Do you want to start by sharing those? Sure, yeah. We were talking on the last podcast about adding a few extra things on that came to mind. A couple leadership reads that I really liked during my career. My favorite was Rules and Tools for Leaders. Uh, it's a down-to-earth guide for effective managing. It's by Major General Perry Smith. I think he was an F-16 pilot and you know, eventual general in the Air Force. Really good how-tos for different things, like how to lead during a crisis, how to lead when everybody's bummed out, understanding your team members, how to handle crappy jobs, crappy bosses, and I'm going to talk a little more about that in detail. But, yeah, that's just an awesome little guidebook. I've went through several editions of it during my career and then just kept going through it. And then uh, Leadership Secrets of Colin Powell by Oren Harari, H-A-R-A-R-I. Really good read. Just talks about uh, Colin Powell. I got to meet him once and a phenomenal leader, but a lot of really good tips and tricks about leading small and larger organizations, just kind of perspective and military in general. Then Lincoln on Leadership is a great book as well. And the other one was Why Hospitals Should Fly. And it talks about just the safety environment in hospitals and how errors occur and how to prevent them based on what a lot of that's been learned in aviation with aviation safety. And so great, great books, all of those. Then I, I was going to recommend just general readings on military history. There's a really cool series by an author named James Stokesbury, S-T-O-K-E-S-B-U-R-Y. He writes these short history of, short history of the Civil War, of the American Revolution, short history of air power, short history of World War I, World War II, I think even Korea, maybe Vietnam, I'm not sure. But just super good writer, really concise books. They're not big tomes that you have to wade through. They're easy, just kind of pick it up and read a couple hours on a weekend or something. But really like those to give me perspective on what the military was about and what what role I played within it helped a lot. Then a classic is Killer Angels by Michael Scharr. And then Tom Clancy just has a ton of books out for different weapon systems, so submarines and fighter wing and different big systems, you know, big ships and stuff. And there's just a lot of inside interesting stuff about how, these organizations work and the mindset and the mentality and the equipment and the challenges and the history. So I recommend that stuff. As a military physician, you cannot neglect your military understanding, and you can build that as you go in med school or even residency, just taking some time here and there. Thank you. Would you like to tell us a little bit about getting a bad assignment or what happens if you don't get the residency or location you want and sort of advice on dealing with that? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, people complain a lot about assignments and things, and oftentimes in the military you don't have any choice. You don't really have an angle on it, and so you're going to go where you're going to go. You're going to go to the ship you're going to go to. You're going to go to the battalion. In the Army or Marines, you're going to go 
you know, to whatever base in the Air Force, maybe somewhere overseas, that'd be great. But you can usually volunteer a little bit for really crappy places, supposedly, like distant, isolated spots, Korea and remote tours and stuff like that. But oftentimes you just kind of end up someplace. So what do you do when you land in a in a lousy location or maybe a lousy job that you just think, oh, this is going to be terrible? It happened to me a couple of times. I had, you know, just lousy assignments or I had a, a assignments that were awesome and then turned lousy. And typically the lousy factor comes from who you're around or who you work for. And I had a, some amazing bosses I worked for over the years. And I had some lousy bosses I worked for that were just frustrating and they just, I didn't like any of their decision making and most of us didn't and they just were caustic sometimes. What do you do when you wind up in a slot like that? And I think there's some sort of good positive news from that. You know, one fact I can look back and say, I learned the most about leadership. I learned the most about my job when I was in a really crappy assignment. I hate to say it. I hate, I hate to say I learned more about leadership from observing bad leaders than I did from growing through and learning from good leaders. So that's a good side of it. And, you know, the other thing is how do you function with that? How do you deal with that when it happens? I learned just to really try to hang in there, keep as much as I could control under control by me and, you know, grow in certain ways and take that time to build other areas in my life. You know, do it. you've got to do a good job. If you don't do a good job, it's going to make everything miserable. But it's frustrating in a job when you're doing the best you can and you still have kind of bad leadership that's sort of making things frustrating for you. This is civilian sector too, folks. I mean, this is not just military by far. But just hunkering down and, and keeping your own nose clean, taking care of your people, doing the best you can. I, I spent a lot of time protecting the folks under me from squirrely policy coming down from above. And it's just, you know, a hospital environment and psychology or a big organization psychology can be just frustrating sometimes because their priorities seem to be much different than your priorities. So I just, I did the best I could to protect my folks. If bad stuff was coming down, I did my best to work it on my end and not let it always seep through and just immediately pass through to the folks below me. Uh, that made them appreciate their job. I mean, it kind of is a little bit, I wouldn't say falling on your sword, but it's taking a hit for the team that you're over, that you're in charge of in some way. But it ended up paying off really well because my team ended up stronger. Typically, the bad job, the bad boss, it didn't last. They typically would move on at some point, and you're back up and running, and, and you can grow from there. If you let it get to you and just get a horrible attitude, everybody's miserable, and it's just it's, it's awful. So that's an angle. Of course, you know, you got a great job, great location you make the best of it, right? You just you just crank through. I think the same goes for a residency. Maybe you get a residency that was in a location you didn't want to go to or something. Just try to make the best of it. Keep the best attitude. A residency doesn't have to be fun. You, you got to work hard. You got to learn. You got you to train your brain. You got to see a lot of cases. You got to do a lot of stuff to get that experience. And it kind of doesn't matter where you are in some degree. You know, make the best of it. That's uh, kind of my recommendation. So, yeah, that was that. That was the crappy assignment, crappy boss. I had a boss that was just so caustic, 
and it was rough. I remember to this day I get chills inside thinking some of the stuff I experienced with this guy. He was really emotionally abusive, but I will tell you, I'm a different person in a good way because I went through that because I know now what not to do. I know how things come across when you treat people poorly. So, yeah, that's that question. Thank you so much for that advice. I know you also mentioned you wanted to talk a little bit about how to make military medicine work with family life. Would you like to expand on that? Yeah, sure. So I get a lot of questions talking to med students about military life, and a common question is, what about my family? How's that going to work? Or or even if I don't have a family yet, but is is the military going to work against my family in in med school and in residency and in career? And I would say it's kind of what you make of it. I think looking back, our family going through all the many assignments, there were some hard times when, you know, you're moving every two, three, four years, and, you know, the kids have to start all over building friendships and, and connections. They really did better than I expected overall, looking back. They really did because we still took care of our core household, our core family. And I think looking back, they I don't think they would tell you it was a horrible experience, as, as you might expect. There were times that were harder than others, but the one thing I remember and I learned repeatedly is take care of your family first and foremost. And sometimes that means a little bit of sacrifice on the job side, or you might want to read and study an extra couple hours on a weekend, but you have a chance to go with your family down to a park downtown or something. Do that stuff. Spend that time. And the other thing was in the military, you know, I was in the, I came in right before 9-11, and so my most of my career was defined by, the global war on terror, which was lots of deployments, lots of time away. I was in a special ops unit for four years, and we couldn't tell our family where we were going. We didn't know where we were going a lot of times. And and once you got there, you couldn't tell them when you were coming home. You couldn't tell them what you were doing. They could only just sit and watch CNN and get terrified at some awful things going on in the streets of some country somewhere, and they kind of have an idea you're there. Those kinds of things come up, and so that, that deployment life can be hard on the family. Sometimes it's easier for us deployed than it is for our family at home because it's kind of fun. It's You're getting paid extra. Um, you have time sometimes on your hands to do more stuff. And, you know, you work out more, all those sorts of things. But when you're at home, really pour your energy and effort into taking care of your family, going to soccer games, spending time with your kids, spending time with your spouse, that is just so important. And that's that's even in residency training. So some friends of mine and I in med school, three of us buddies, we committed early in med school. I think it was somewhere in our first year. We, we sat down together and we said, listen, let's hold each other accountable to not study on Sunday. And we literally, you know, made that commitment to each other. And I, we kind of thought this is stupid. There's no way. There's, there's way too much work to do. And... I honestly believe by taking that one day out of the week to guarantee not study, not do work, not engage with all all the rat race of school, I think the rest that we gained from that and the benefit for our families made us so much better. I think we were able to focus more during the rest of the week. You go around the clock working, 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 your brain doesn't absorb as much as you think. You're getting dumber as you go at some point with uh, fatigue and exhaustion. 
And so that applies all the way through your career. And I relearned that lesson multiple times that I had been overworking and just burning candle at both ends. And my family was resenting it. I almost lost my marriage at least once, I think twice. And, you know, got refocused and back in. Uh, one time I said to myself, I'm, I promised myself I'm not going to work past five in the office. I'm going to go home at five o'clock and whatever's not done is not done. And the next day I'll have to work on it. And honestly, that was amazing because I forced myself. I was able to get a lot more done in the time during the day I had to work with, and I got the important stuff done first and just really was a game changer. And I was able to disengage and get home and not be worried about, you know, tons of other stuff. So just something to think about taking care of your family. And, you know, there's some ways the military is easier because you're paid pretty good, you got, you know, things provided for a little bit better. There's a lot of times some culture within the squadron or the unit that you work in where spouses get together, and especially overseas, it's very rich uh, typically. And um, so, yeah, that's a few thoughts on family life in the military. Awesome. Do you have any other <clears throat> pieces of advice you would like to share? Yeah. Really avoiding overwork, trying as hard as you can to avoid the rat race. You all probably heard of Alcoholics Anonymous, and there's uh, Al-Anon for spouses of alcoholics, and then there's Overeaters Anonymous, Overspenders, Gamblers Anonymous, Sexual Addicts Anonymous, all these different 12-step groups and, and kind of group-type therapy things that are you know, anonymous and self-driven. It's not done with through, through a hospital or something. Well, there's one called Workaholics Anonymous. And if you find yourself just so prone to overwork and taking on more and more and more, which really is a lot of doctors, it's a lot of doctors. We are kind of selected for that. And then in the military especially, we were trained and taught how to multitask and we were forced to multitask. The reality is, your brain can't really multitask as much as you think. You can kind of spin plates a little bit, but your brain's degrading as you're adding tasks to it. So if you find yourself really running down that road, I'll tell you, it will kill you. In Japan, there's a word called karoshi. It is a definition. It is a actual public health defined term for death from work. So people, they come into work in the morning and they find people there that were working all night and they're dead because they've exhausted themselves. I think that's a real thing. And I think short of that, you can also ruin your life by overwork and over effort. So anyway, you know, if you feel like you're in that category, check out Workaholics Anonymous. There's a bunch of really great materials and stuff and groups that you can call in and, and meet together and just kind of encourage and help each other out. But try to avoid overwork. Allow time, make time and space for just peace, for just rest, for just doing true recreation, and that will do you well in your life. That is it. You any other questions, Katie? I don't think so. I think that's all. Do you have anything else you'd like to talk about? No, I think I've yapped on long enough. I appreciate the opportunity and hope it's helpful for all your folks out there. Awesome. Thank you. So that wraps up our episode with Dr. Rogers today. Thank you so much for your time and sharing your experiences with us future military physicians. For those of you listening, if you have any recommendations for the podcast or anything you'd like to hear in particular, 
Feel free to email samopseducationchair at gmail.com. Thanks for tuning in.